This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That to say that I'm joined on Football CFB by former Chelsea, former Everton and even Clyde Kilmarnock Motherwell, Tranmere Rovers player Pat Nevin. Pat's had an incredible career in football, some very interesting tales and you can read all about them in his book that will be released this year, The Accidental Footballer, which I'm looking forward to, to read myself. Pat, first of all, how are you? I'm extremely well. I've been very lucky um, all the way through this uh, pandemic. We live away in the, down in the Scottish borders, which has had, had limited effect uh, the pandemic. Uh, so obviously we're all doing the right things down here, um, but we, others are going to struggle to be a bit more. I've actually kind of been able to enjoy the, the rest of them because I've been working extraordinarily hard. And when I say work, I put inverted commas around that because my job's a great job. Like, um, but I've, I've managed to get a lot of that rest, which is why I've sort of, sort of written a lot more over the past year or so. So in simple terms, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been fortunate. I'm having a good time. And in terms of your work, so many people in Scotland and in England will know you from your media career. What's that been like during the pandemic? Because you've covered football for so many years with crowds being at games. You've covered some of the biggest games in, in British football. So what's it been like from your perspective being in empty stadia? Well, to be honest, it's been all right for me. Um, because of what I do in my method, um, I basically just go and analyse a game and try and paint a picture of a game. Now, I think it's harder for the commentators. The commentators, it's tough then because they react off crowds all the time. Now, I do react off crowds. Um, but generally, that's their job, and then I come in the back of it and, you know, elucidate something else about it. Um, so it's not as good. It's nowhere near as much fun. Um, but is, is there a problem with me doing it? Absolutely not. And I mean, this week I've had some incredibly interesting games. Uh, I was down at Palace versus Man United, uh, which was interesting for 20 minutes, then stopped <laughs> it very boring. Uh, then went straight to Liverpool v Chelsea at Anfield. Um, then I did Liverpool v Fulham, which is extraordinary. You know, before the game, I'm thinking, Liverpool are going to get beat here. I can't believe I'm thinking Liverpool are playing Fulham at Anfield and I think Fulham are going to win. And then they did. <laughs> it was extraordinary. And then it was Chelsea-Everton game uh, the next night. So uh, I'm still travelling quite a bit uh, to do it. Obviously, the way we do it, um, working for the BBC particularly, you have to be incredibly careful, not taking any flights, not taking any train journeys. Uh, you're basically hermetically sealed in your car from home to the ground. Uh, it's funny you mentioned it and you're asking about that. No one really asks about it because you have to be ultra safe. You have to go all the tests. Um, if, I would say one of the safest places in Britain just now is football stadiums. I mean, I'm doing the Celtic Rangers game in a week or so. Um, and that will be one of the safest places inside that ground because the, the checks and the, the fact that everyone's really far apart, everyone's wearing masks, it's an incredibly safe place. Um, but you have to be sensible about it. When you travel there, you take your own food. You don't go out and do anything else. When I buy fuel, I don't go in and buy it in the forecourt, uh, in the, the shop. I buy it outside with, <laughs> with the, you know, the card. So it's, a, it's interesting, but it's totally and utterly different. It's very solitary, actually, extremely. And in terms of covering football as an analyst for, for many years in Scotland and in England, what's that been like for you? Is that something that you saw as a, a natural progression when you finished playing? I haven't really considered it. Um, I'd, wanted, I'd, I'd considered being a writer and I'd started writing before my career was finished and I'd had columns and I was fortunate the Sunday Times, the Observer and things like that. The difference for me is I write mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't think many players right there uh, made phone up a journal or a journal phone to them up. To do it that way, I don't do that. Uh, everything that's written down uh, with my name in the end is written by me, so it's rubbish. Blame me, right? <laughs> if you don't it, blame me. It's not anyone else. So I'd always thought of doing that, and I'd been writing during my career for you know art magazines, for NME, you know, music magazines, you name it. So I'd always been expected, I expected to go into journalism in some way. And just at the end of my time in my career, um, Five Live started asking me to do stuff. And then Channel Five asked me to do their, they were starting me getting into football. Um, so that was, I thought, well, I'll have a go at that. And to be fair, I did it for a year with Channel Five, some certain time, as it was at the time. And it was brilliant. I absolutely loved doing it. I mean, in comparison to the job I was doing, I was a mother at the time and chief executive, which was, to be fair, not fun. Uh, interesting um, and enjoyable in the fact that I love learning. But fun was not the first word that would come to mind. Uh, so uh, when I would go down once or twice every month and go to London, which I love, and do stuff for Channel 5, I'll then do the Radio 5 gigs. I'm thinking, there's no pressure here. This is brilliant. <laughs> I love this. And of course, I love traveling as well. And it gave me an opportunity to travel. So at that point in time, I thought, you know what? If people keep on asking me, I'll just keep on doing it. And that's it. So there's not been a career in, in, in this area. There's just been a lot of people can ask me. And it's changes all the time. You don't last. And this is the thing that people don't understand uh, with it. You don't last very long in one place. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I've been at Radio 5 Live since I retired. I mean, that's 20 odd years. It's a long time. Um, but also, you know, I worked with an Irish company. I've been there for 10 years. They wouldn't know that if it wasn't Scotland. The people in England didn't know that I did BBC Scotland. <laughs> people in Scotland probably don't know I do Five Live very much because they, they maybe listen to it in Scotland. So the idea, I've got a World Service show um, that I do for the BBC. So the idea was, once I started doing it and really enjoyed it, not to go overdo it in, 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 in areas. So don't be on the telly or the radio all the time in Scotland or in England or in Ireland. It, do little bits here and there. Um, and I kind of like that because I didn't want to be, I, mean, there, I think you can, I'll not name names, you don't need to. If you look on the telly and watch the football just now, it's the same people all the time. And they begin to drag you mad, don't they? <laughs> they do, don't they? And that's maybe it, you know, with me, I just thought, you know, if you end up doing too much in one place, then it's probably best to get out. Absolutely, I agree with that one. And in terms of your football career as such, you started training with Celtic when you were a kid, but it was Clyde who gave you your first route into the professional game. How did all that come about? It's complicated. Um, God, it took me a whole book to write about that. It's not the first um, but, you know, I didn't really want to be a footballer. I loved playing. And, uh, you know, it was just a fluke, really. You know, I just fell into it. I'd been asked to get into it a few times. And in the end, um, I kind of I turned it down quite a lot, um, purely because I thought it was a bit daft. Um, but then uh, I eventually got a wee chance. And uh, what I did was I'd, I was kind of well known that I was doing a degree while playing for Clyde. And the degree was far more important. Like going to gigs was far more important. I mean, just about everything. Although I was very dedicated to the craft of playing football. I, it's, it's, just, it's a dichotomy that it's been hard to explain to people. So another reason why I wrote that book was to explain to people, you can be utterly and completely dedicated to it, but not want to be a footballer. Now that sounds strange, but after that, that was perfectly reasonable. So you know, I've explained all that, and you know that's what happened. I, I fell into it. I still loved playing, but I kept an almost amateurish uh, attitude to work. Now, amateur, amateur can mean two things. Amateur can, in modern sense, people think well, that means you're rubbish. But that's not what it means. It means doing it for you know the right Corinthian reasons because it's a love of it, because the joy of it, because of the creation of it. Um, and that's why I played football. Um, so I was able to keep that attitude. In fact, I was just, I was reading a book the other day. In fact, I was reading it for an audio book about the band The Fall. And 
the fall was very amateurish, you bet. They, they created great stuff, but they didn't want it to be too slick or too pushy or anything like that. And I was reading it and thinking, well, two things I was thinking, why on earth did they ask me to read their audio book because people south of Walford can't understand the word I say. <laughs> but the other thing was, you know, I liked that attitude of do things for the right reasons. And that's what I did. And I managed to keep on doing that throughout my, my entire career, which was great fun, you know, really enjoyable. Um, and a lot longer than I expected it to last. It ended up lasting 19 years. In terms of Clyde as such, you worked with Craig Brown when he was a, a football manager, really just making his name in the game compared to the, the Craig Brown, I suppose, that we're aware of now that managed Scotland for a period of time. What was it like working with Craig? Because like you, he was also teaching at that time. I was, yeah, I mean, that's probably the reason why it kind of worked so well with me and Craig, uh, because he understood me a wee bit more than maybe others, because I'm very much an outsider uh, in the football world. Um, but he was understanding of me. What Craig did um, with me was, he left me alone. <laughs> he just said, right, you just go and do what you do. Right, see, see me go in that pitch, you do it. Go on. He never told me much to do. He's, he's a great coach. He's a great technical coach. But he kind of, he trusted me because he, he, he trusted me to know I don't need to know when to cover back because I'll do it. I was a fitness fanatic. I was a distance runner. So, I wasn't swanning about out in the wing. And anyway, I didn't play that often in the wing. <laughs> I, I hadn't been a winger, you know. So I, I kind of had to learn that on the job when I was playing. So, um, but Craig was, he was good at managing people as well. So he's a good technical manager, good at managing people, good at managing very different types of people. And, and that basically, if you've got that, you've got a good chance of being a, a manager at a very decent level. Very unusual way that he went, you know, to get the Scotland manager's job. When you think about it, so was the guy before him, Roxy. You know, Andy Roxburgh had gone a very unusual way as well. I was quite fortunate at the time because um, I was in, you know, Craig was the assistant manager helping the youth teams and he would, and the coaching down at Largs. And of course, I get into the under 18s with Andy Roxburgh. And so I was kind of not really in their gang, but accept, accepted by them. And it gave me a little foot up. It doesn't give you much of a foot up because you then need to do it once you get there. And uh, fortunately, it went really well for me with Clyde and with Scotland from then on. But two people that I've known all my football life and two people that I respect just as much now as I did then. You, you mentioned the success at Clyde, um, Player of the Year awards, winning a league title with them. Chelsea come calling and how did you react when Chelsea were interested because you mentioned now that you have a love of London was that something that you thought of at the time when they came in to say wow I'm going to I'm going to get the chance to go down here and not only play football which I'm good at but also experience the other parts of London with your interest in music and art yeah that, that was it I mean I'd travelled anyway I mean I'd done a while I was at Clyde I'd, I'd um, done that kind of traipsing around Europe in an interrail on in a train, um, like a student, like any student would. Um, so I'd absolutely fall in love with travel. Um, but we'd gone via London and we'd stayed there for a little while and I just loved the place. Um, loved the, the excitement of it, the opportunities of it, the different things to do, be it music, be it theatre, be it arts, be it anything. And, you know, being Glasgow, I'd, you know, it's, it's easy to fit in in London in many ways. Well, I thought it was. I mean, I wasn't, you know, when I went down there, I mean, first of all, what did I think when Chelsea came in? I told them to get lost, first of all. <laughs> I turned them there for a year. Um, I wouldn't go uh, because I was enjoying my life in Glasgow. And Glasgow's great. I love Glasgow. I love my city. didn't want to leave. Um, but, you know, when I went down, there was lots of things to draw me there. But I, I had no intention of staying long term. None at all. Uh, just wanted to try it out for a wee while. It's like everybody else. You're supposed to think along those lines of, you know, I'm going to be a footballer, I'm going to get to the top, and all that sort of stuff. I never thought that for a millisecond. I couldn't care less. I thought, I'm going to go there, I'm going to have a bit of a laugh. <laughs> I'm going to have fun. <laughs> and that's what I did. Um, and it went well. I, I was very fortunate, it went well. Um, it, it was a surprise to them when I got in the first team right away, because I was only 19. And 
I was skinny as a rake and you know it didn't look as if I was you know the, <laughs> I looked right for it and it was I'm such an oddity there I mean I'm a post-punk and we're all George Benson fans I just I was completely out of place um the manager kind of believed me um and that makes a big difference and he like Craig Brown just said yeah you just go and do what you want yeah, I trust you it maybe took him a month or two and then he just went no no I trust you on you go and uh, when that happened, you know, I got shocked in my life. I, within the end of the year, we won the league, and I get player of the year. Which, considering I was a guy who still thought he'd get, still thought he should be at Glasgow Tech, <laughs> it was a bit. This is a little bit weird. Um, but I, I kind of, I kind of was enjoying it. But even at that point, I wasn't convinced I was going to stay. Weirdly, I know it's, it sounds odd now, but I, that's how I felt. When you look at Chelsea of that era, you mentioned winning, winning the league title. You think of the likes of Kerry Dixon, you David Speedy, Mickey Thomas was there for a period as well, who was at Manchester United. What was that dressing room like and what was that group of players like? Because Chelsea, as we know it now, is obviously a, a, a club renowned across the world. It was different back yeah, then. Yeah, I mean, they had some success in the 70s, a lot of success in the 70s. They'd won European trophies. They'd won the FA Cup in a very famous uh, final against Leeds United in the 70s. Um, so they, they, you know, they, they, had a, they had a history. And if you go further back than that, they had a good history as well. They'd won the league to the top league as well. Um, but they'd fallen in really tough times. And before I arrived, they, they came within a day or a goal of going to the third tier in English football. That's how loaded they'd sunk. Um, but it was still a big club. Um, so. When I went there, I kind of it was almost the only way is up, <laughs> so we could go. And, but we did up, go up quite quickly. They, they bought well. Um, but I say they bought well, they didn't spend a lot of money, but they bought well. And you think of the guys they brought in, Siku, the goalkeeper, went on to play a Welsh international, would have played hundreds of games with them. I had Neville Southall not been in goal for them, he was quite good. Um, Joe McLaughlin, who became a stalwart, um, amazing that he didn't get an international cup in Scotland. Um, myself, Kerry Dixon, Nigel Spankman, who went on and had a great career with Liverpool and Rangers. So they bought five players and every one of them worked. And that's kind of unusual. You know, you bought half a team within a couple of weeks. And that half a team went on and got promoted by winning the league. And within a year or two, were, you know, they're up there challenging to win the, the top eight. You know, and that's kind of... That's kind of a big call to do quite quickly. It was a different club. I, I work at Chelsea a lot now. Um, I'm there most weeks. And I write for the, the website. I, I do the programme notes for the rating. Um, so I do a lot of writing. I'm still involved with the club. They are my team. Um, and they are a different entity. But life's different. Um, and if you look at it, I go to Chelsea now. And I've, it's been a while since I worked there, right? It's been a wee while since I first played there. So I was 19, I'm now 57 now, right? There are still people working there. They were working there when the day I arrived. I mean, that shocked people. But for all they say, there are this big corporate conglomerate thing. See, in the heart of it, once you dig into the heart of it, Theresa's are still there organizing. You know, Jane's still at the top. She's still doing a lot of work for them as well. There's a lot of people that were there originally still there which is an, you see I mean which is what I love about it I absolutely love about it um, and a lot of the fans yes it's a it's a it's a place that's got fans around the world and they're watching it you know you know virtually they're not going to watch it at Stanford Bridge all the time and there's a lot of people that come to the games that are you know they're probably you know they're traveling a wee way a wee distance usually you know most seasons a lot of the people won't necessarily be Actual for Chelsea fans would be tourists, a lot of tourists. That'd be, that's just the way football is in England now. You get tourist fans. Um, but the core, nah, they're still there. They're still there. And that's a good thing because they are, apart from the historically, there were some problems with uh, a far right band that had kind of infiltrated in it. The vast majority of them are great. And um, that's kind of why I still like them. And in terms of working at Chelsea and, and covering the Premier League now as you do, 
you played in this in the old first division, as they call it. What was that era of football like? Because as a young person, it kind of irks me a wee bit when people refer to the records as if they only started in '92. That that's something that just irks me personally. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot of history has been taken away, but it can always happen. You know, when I was playing, people were ignoring what had happened in the '70s. You know, or the '60s or the '50s. And it just it moves on. You have your time and you move on. And I've kind of never been up bothered about it. I think there's some people I'm upset for a wee bit when you say that the top scorer in the Premier League history, and you think, actually, there were a lot of brilliant players before then, you know, and they did do rather well. Um, so the kind of the records and all this that doesn't bother me one way or the other. What does bother me is when people say, oh, of course different now, you, you, you have that, we did a low block or, or, or high press, I'm going, yeah, we did all that then. I'm watching players playing now, and they're saying, oh, he's playing eight and he's playing six. And it's just jargon. He's playing inside right and inside left. It's the same thing. And I, I mean, inside left and inside right were by my team blanked. They were ignored by my team. There's a lot of jargon and, uh, it's everyone thinks it's a straight line, but sometimes it's modular, sometimes it goes up and down. I've been watching Manchester City, and you would argue that they are the gold standard at the moment. They are very close at the moment. I mean, I mean, unbelievably close to putting out a WM formation. That's 1950s. That's where the WM formation comes from. So everyone who tells you all these brand new things, and I do listen to some commentators, and some very specific about it, and I, I urge anyone listening, right, see me listening to commentary, see anyone who says low, bro low block or high press, right, just jargon, but try to scam me, okay? <laughs> just, just to let you know, okay, it's a fan, right? Just to let you know, it's nonsense. It's just defending deep. <laughs> And we did exactly, everyone did the same. Craig Brown and Andy Roxbury were doing this in the 1980s and tightening or funneling and all that sort of stuff. They've just done tennis. And it's, it's not football, it's just that does that. Every organ, every business does it. They use jargon to make themselves sound clever. It's not that complicated sometimes. Gordon Strachan talks about it a great deal. He's very good at it. Um, so there's a lot of good new things, good new thinking. Um, but the greatest thinkers in the game, um, some of them, not much has moved on. If you look back at the history of, I would argue, the best football that you are seeing just now and have done for the past 10, 15 years, the direct, it's a direct line back to Johan Cruyff. It's an absolute direct line. It's all come from there. And the Dutch me method that they brought in the 70s. Um, before that, there were other teams that were doing interesting things. But you look at the great Barca team um, that was around about you know ten years ago, whatever. That's there's a direct link, and it's no surprise it was Barca that did it, and it's no surprise now that Pep Guardiola, who was in at Barca then in Man City now, is doing one of the best versions of it ever. Um, so yeah, there's a bit of me that does find all that quite funny. <laughs> Absolutely, I agree with you. Um, it's, it's, it's all about reinventing the wheel, as you say, and the jargon, I suppose, lets that happen. Um, in, in terms of yourself at Chelsea, obviously there was um, success in terms of promotion, which they got them back to the top flight, challenging for the title. You win several Player of the Year awards. Then the club goes through a, a more difficult time and you move to Everton, who were just off the back of arguably the most successful year in their history. Were you really excited about going to Everton, given how successful they were under Howard Kendall? Yeah, try, uh, try and explain to people that <laughs> I was taking a step up going from Chelsea to Everton. doesn't really make a lot of sense now, but no, absolutely was the case then. And um, it, was, it kind of wasn't that difficult. You know, that um, I, I knew there was a lot of good players there. And they were spending a decent amount of money. Uh, working hard at building something that was going to chase you know the top teams such as Liverpool at the time. So you you do you you, you go where the you know the opportunity is to do the, the best you could. Um there was really good times there. Um 
ups and downs. Uh, again, covered massively in, in the film. I think I've written, I've written recently. Um, but I, I kind of look back on it, and there is, it's like everywhere you ever go, most of the time. If you think of players, you almost always think of the greats. Oh, what about Ryan Giggs? And he was Manchester United for all those years, or Stevie Gerrard, all these years, Frank Lampard, all those years, or whatever. Or, you know, Paul McStay if you're a Celtic fan, and there's loads of them, right? The vast majority of careers are nothing like that. They're usually three, four, or five years, if you're lucky, at one club, then two or three or four at another club, and you move about a bit. And within that period of time, there's ups and downs. Um, and you live through all that, um, and there's a variety of reasons. You're suddenly not a bad player. It's just things change. You know, maybe a new manager or whatever, a new system or whatever. A million things can happen. So right, well, to Everton, I really like it. just really, really good players. I mean, everybody's international. Everybody. The place is empty when you <laughs> international league. Um, so you know you've got a chance of you know bettering yourself, and that was a real jump forward. Um, but more than that, I just signed because I liked the manager. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> All that stuff was secondary because I was going to go somewhere else. I had another team I was going to go to. I was going to sign for PSG. It was all sorted. And then the last minute, I met Colin Harvey and I went, oh, all right, then I'll sign for you. <laughs> That's, that was how I did it. Um, it was a weird one. Um, but it was, it was interesting because I then ended up spending nearly a decade in Merseyside because after them I was at Tranmere and I, I, I loved the, the area. I lived in Chester, which is just outside Liverpool. Um, and it's funny asking me about it now because I'll be absolutely honest, I never thought of any of this stuff at all until about two years ago. Never thought about it. Never moved on. The next thing. That's, football's like that. Um, you can't look back. If you look back, you'll fail. You always must move forward. And because if you do it for nearly two decades, it now becomes part of you. You move forward. You forget. You just dump everything. You dump it. You dump it. You move on. So whether it's a week ago, 10 days ago, two years ago, you just move. Um, and people always think, ah, oh, you meet up again, all the players, and those good old days, and they chat about the old times. No, you don't. You talk about injuries <laughs> because you're knackered. <laughs> because of all the damage that you've done to yourself. Um, so it's kind of odd. It's only the last wee while that I've actually decided. Um, I'll have a look back and see what it was like. And I have to say, I'm quite surprised by it all <laughs> because um, time can play tricks on you as well. Um, and it can play, you think something happened. Unfortunately, I had some diaries and just some notes that I'd taken about things, and the internet's pretty damn good for finding out when things happen and putting it in time scales. Um, but when you look back at it, um, it's probably slightly different from way, the way it felt at the time. And the, the deal is to try and remember what you felt at the time, but not how you then processed it. Um, and that's kind of my Everton time was very much kind of. It was a really good start for a really small team. I got a really bad injury. And then it went really well for a while. And then they changed the manager. And that just happens. That happened with almost every club I was ever at. Great times. Change the manager. Oh. And that's just, you don't suddenly become a different player or a bad player or whatever. You change the manager. And he wants something else. Um, and if I had anything I'd change in my career looking back now, I probably stayed a year too long at Everton because the new manager, Howard Kendall, had come in. Uh, he just didn't fancy me. Didn't certainly fancy him. I mean, we, we got on until he died and then I left, it was fine. Um, but that's kind of just the way it is sometimes. You know, it happens that something technically changes and you need to move on. And if you don't do it at the right time, and fans often don't understand it, why it happens, you know, because it happens. You just see what's written in the press. And as a fan, I mean, I've, I've, I'll tell you a wee secret. I've actually written the second part of this book already. <laughs> and the second part deals with the second part of my career. And I was talking to some Kelly fans recently who had no idea why I left Kelly. And when I explained to them, they were dumbfounded. They couldn't believe it. 
because it had never been done in the press. It had never been done, and I didn't push it. So it's just a bit like that. I look back all the stuff that was, I tend to look back and, yeah, some of the games, but mostly the people I knew, the people I met, and the general happiness that surrounded your life. In terms of Everton, the one specific question I want to ask you about is as an attacking player and a forward-thinking player is, what was it like for you when you've got the likes of Graham Sharp and Tony Cotty up front, when you've got the ball and you're looking to, to provide them with service because they were two of the best strikers in that sort of old first division into Premier League era? It's a good bit of shame they wouldn't talk to each other, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, they didn't go on great, um, but they were two quality players. But um, I don't know, I just, I, I like the, the, the quality was generally all around. I mean, Tony Cotty was my roommate. Um, we, were, we couldn't be more politically further apart. So we're roommates. Me's for London, you know, East, uh, yeah, East London. And I'm for like East End of Glasgow. And uh, he's a Tory boy. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so, but we got on brilliant. Um, really brilliant really well. I was an incredibly hardworking player. Tony was lazy. And he would, he would tell you that himself. But he was some scorer. He was some goal scorer. Um, and he was the top goal scorer every year he was there. Um, and it was, they were everywhere you looked, they were good players. I mean, I loved for a period with Trevor Stephen there. And Trevor's lovely to play, to play with. And in reality, the one I liked best was a guy that came in my last season. Um, he was one of the best players I ever played with. Uh, well, two of the players that came near the end was Norman Whiteside, who was staggeringly good, and Peter Bearsley, who was an astonishing player. So these were the players I really thought. Yeah, I can play with them. Um, but in actual fact, for a variety of reasons, it just never gelled. I mean, we ended up getting to an FA Cup final. Uh, I was fortunate to score the winner in the, the semi. Um, and we were, you know, fifth, sixth in the league, that sort of stuff. That was total disaster for Everton. <laughs> it was like a nightmare. Whereas you look at Everton now and they'd be delighted with that. But it's just because of what they had been before. But it was a trans- transitional period for the club, and they had a, a very, very successful period. What they didn't realise that that transition was going to take about two decades. <laughs> it took a long time, and I don't know in reality if they've ever got back to that standard again. They just had a very good team for a very small period of time during the mid '80s, um, and they never quite got to that level again. But you know. They've been good teams at various times, and I still love the club. I mean, I really do. Um, and spend, I mean, that's it's covering the game, the Chelsea Everton game, and it tops it for me. So I, I hate it, absolutely hate it, because there are two teams I love down here, um, down in England, and it's, it's. I just don't like any of them getting beat. So it is torture watching that one. Um, but to look back in those times. Um, all still genuinely positive, uh, but it was it was interesting writing about them. I have to say. In terms of um, Tranmere after Everton, you mentioned earlier you never thought you would be in Merseyside for so long. What was it about Tranmere and the football club at that time that that just seemed to to work with yourself? I'd gone on loan for a couple of months um, right at the end of my time at Everton, and I needed to get back in the Scotland squad because uh, it was Euro '92 coming up. And I wasn't getting games. So I went on loan and I was there for about two weeks. And I thought, Sweden hell, they're brilliant. <laughs> what a team they are. And so when it came to me to decide where to go at the end of the next season, I had a number of options. And I just thought, I'm going to go for the place I like. You know, I was happy there. Good bunch of lads. Um, not chasing big names, not chasing big money. I just wanted to play football and enjoy it. And it was nice that somebody was offering me some money um, to play a game of football. That's as simple as it is with me. So um, that's exactly what I did. I went, I, in the first three years of trying me, the first three years, we were in the playoffs to get into the Premier League every year. And we were some, honestly, what a team. We were destroying the opposition, you know, with the most brilliant football. And some of the best football, certainly the best football I played in my career would have been at Tranmere. Um, and everyone talks about you know, the time at very, very top clubs, but I was at my best then, um, which is strange to be at your best 
playing in the league below, the very top league. But um, it's hard to understand why some top teams did come in for me and I didn't go decided against it. I was a, a very top team would, would have come in. I would have went, you know, a Chelsea would have come back in whatever. But the game had changed a little bit. It had become much more power driven and pace driven. Um, I wasn't a mad fan of the early Premier League. I didn't like it very much. Um, there was a lot of teams people forget, look upon the teams that won leagues then. But there was a lot of get the ball in the mixer going on then. And I didn't really rate it very <laughs> highly. So, but I did rate my team. I came to try and I thought, nah, sod that. I'm staying here. I'm staying with a good bunch of players. And what happened is, I thought they were a very good bunch of kids. And uh, it was extraordinary. I thought, am I kidding myself on here? But then one left back, no one gets sold to Sheffield Wednesday. Then the next left back gets sold to Forest. And then the next left back, by the way, I was playing the left wing then, gets sold to Manchester City. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm the one that's making these guys look good here. <laughs> but they were all going and our centre-back, John McGrew, went to Ipswich, who were Premier League at the time. Um, our other centre-back, Vickers, went to Middlesbrough, who were Premier League at the time. Uh, Tony Thomas went to Everton, Premier League at the time. And you just think, all our players that we're bringing through here are all just leaving and going Premier League. And that was fine. But what it underlined to me was, actually, I was right. That was a right good team. We had Aldo up front, John Aldridge, who's... Probably the best goal scorer I've ever played. Um, I'll take the probability. He's the best goal scorer I've ever played. He was unbelievable. He was like, he was as good as you were, definitely. And that's saying something. So you're talking world class level. Um, and how he was at Tranmere. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> I think like me, he was loving it. And he was, we were successful. We were scoring a lot of goals. We were an exciting team to watch. And it was an enjoyable club. And we managed to get this club who were, I mean, up until recently, they nearly went, they went out of the leagues, but we brought them to the cusp of, you know, the Premier League three times in a row within a game of getting to the Premier League. And it's a shame though, because all the other teams that went up, you know, the Boltons, um, Swindons, Leicesters, look at what happened. When they got up, they had long periods where they, they got the money and they were able to stay there. And... It was so unfortunate for Crimea that uh, we, the reason why we didn't was because we just didn't have quite enough backup, you know, for the, for the finance, for the players. And then one season we bought, um, we needed backup, we needed another centre forward. Aldo had got injured. So we bought Tommy Coyne. Tom Coyne's a brilliant player. And, and it looked as if we would go from there. Tom had a, a terrible thing happened with him and his family and he went back home. Um, and it's a shame because, it, you know, with time there with Aldo and that, we probably would have got to the Premier League. And that would be brilliant. Just the concept of Tranmere Rovers in the Premier League. That, that I related to that. That would have been perfect for me. Um, and I played the other things. I played more games for Scotland while I was at Tranmere than all my other clubs added together. So clearly I was playing my best football in my career there. And it was just a happy time because living in Chester, my wife and I were having children. It was, it was cool, man. And I became chairman of the PFA around about that time as well, um, which was another interesting job. Um, so I was keeping myself busy. <laughs> kind of an interesting life. And in terms of the Scotland element of your career, I mean, you've just mentioned it there. When you were at Tranmere, that's when you were playing the most times of your career for Scotland and you get to, to a major tournament as well in, in Euro 92. How do you reflect on that experience? Because again, you look at Scotland now and how long we've had to wait for someone else to be able to go and take us to a tournament. And, and Steve Clark, it's it's something that I imagine you look back with great fondness. Yeah, Um Slight disappointment that I broke my leg uh, the month before it and played with a broken leg, <laughs> which is a bit tricky. Um, but no, it was nice to go to those, those champions. But to be honest, I don't see that the same way as most people, as you do. Um, it's just playing for your country. Uh, it doesn't matter where. It's just the joy of playing for your country, the honour um, of playing for your country. 
I can't can believe I actually got the opportunity to do that. And considering the quality of players we had at the time, it was hard to get a game. Really hard to get a game. You know, you know, the, the time I was breaking in, we took it to the Cooper. We took the Cooper and it's just been in before then. Um, Coops is a, a phenomenal player. But you've got Gordon Strachan as well. You know, you you know, people who are actually quite good playing at the very top level. Um, so it was hard to kind of get in and get games there. When those two are retiring, because they were a little bit older than me, my t- chance was coming. Scotland then stopped playing with wingers. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we only played with wingers usually against the minnows. The smaller clubs would play that kind of 5 3 2 formation. So my only opportunity then was one of the two strikers. And you think of the strikers we had back then from, you know, McCoyst and McClare and McAvenny and Mo Johnson. And I can, honestly, I could go on, but we were just talking about them all. There's so many of them, they're so good. Um, and you know, it was, it was kind of hard because, in actual fact, that was my favourite position. That was the position I was best at, either ten or nine. So, but try to even get in there was going to be unbelievably hard. So, every time I got a game, I kind of didn't moan about it. If I wasn't playing or I was on the bench and didn't get on, it's just it's uh, it's what you can do for your country, not what your country can do for you, as I believe JFK said, and that's how I felt. And all those games. So it didn't matter if we got two minutes against the Dutch or we got a full game against San Marino. Didn't care. It's just playing for your country and the, the joy and honour of being able to do that. Um, I liked a lot of the players I played with. I, maybe the biggest disappointment um, was not getting to play alongside a couple of players who I had a good understanding with. And I had a really good understanding with Thomas Day and John Collins. Um, uh, maybe I would love to have worked with them and Tam Boyd as well. So, as you'll notice, they're all Celtic players. And Celtic had tried to buy me a few times. So, in another world, you know, it would have been Scotland and Celtic, you know, with those guys who had a great understanding with. Uh, but it never happened, you know. I'd, you know it's, these things happen in, in careers, you know. It looks like it can happen three or four times and it never did. And usually because the club wouldn't let me go. Um, I didn't have an option because it was on a uh, it was on contract. But it was, I look back in that thinking, 28 caps, 15 starts. You know, it's not a lot over a, a, a career of that length. You know, just over one a season starts. And I think it's worth about five goals in that period. But I was more of seen as a creator. I was created a lot more. And that's good. If I'd have worked up the end of my career and had one goal, a one cap, that'd have been great. That'd have been fantastic. I wore the Scotland strip. That would have been all right for me. You finished your career in Scotland at Kilmarnock and then Mullerwell, as, as, as we mentioned earlier in the interview. What was it like playing in Scotland at, at that time in the late 90s into the 2000s? Well, the first season, at, uh, I'm up for Kilmarnock for a season and a bit of a season and a few games. And after what was a really tough start because the football was really quite different. Standards were a bit different. Um, so it was kind of hard to get your head around why certain players weren't doing certain things that you felt as if they should do without thinking about it. Um, but then I kind of learned a bit. Um, I had to learn what the, cap- the capabilities and some of the players, when I finally figured it out, um, were a hell of a lot better than I gave them credit for at Kilmarnock. And I do often say it, and it surprises a lot of people when they ask about it. Probably the happiest career, year of my career was my year at Kilmana. The, the happiest it was. Um, a bunch of guys there who I absolutely love. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant bunch of mates. Um, I'm back in Scotland, obviously. You know, so a lot of Scottish lads there, and I feel at home. Um, but there was, I loved the manager, Bobby Robinson. Just great guy. Funny. You know, no nonsense. Came from about 200 yards away from me in Easterhouse. Uh, lots in common, but lots that we didn't have in common as well. Um, but the guys that I met there are, are probably as many good mates from my time at Kelly as I have at any other club. And maybe them all added together. And I was only there a year. So that tells you, you know, a story about that. At the end of that season, we managed, and it's kind of apposite now. And people forget, 
we had Rangers, I think it was the second last game of the season at Ibrox, and we had to we had to do them or get at least a point because we were trying to get European football to finish fourth, which was pretty damn good for a Kelly team. And uh, we beat them 1 0 at Ibrox um, with a last minute goal by Ali Mitchell. Now, I've not got a great memory from my 850 professional games, right? But I remember that one. And the reason being, that's not Rangers getting 10 in a row. <laughs> it's like everyone kind of forgets and thinks of us because there's a lot happening there. But Rangers were going for 10 in a row. We beat them uh, 1 0 the second game of the season. And that added to the fact that it killed off um, their chances of winning it. The Celtic went on to win it. Now, back then, I was a Celtic supporter, so it kind of was quite good. <laughs> And as a Kelly man, it was, you know, a, a great moment. Uh, and I've got a real, think I've got through good memories through your career. A um, memory of, we scored there in the 93rd minute to win one now and running towards our fans with all my mates. Um, I don't know if I had many happier moments. Uh, and it's not, it's not an anti-Rangers thing before you think that. It's not that. It was just because we were such a band of brothers. And I loved, loved, loved that moment with those guys and those fans. And the fans had been great to me. Um, and then at the start of next season, we were buying Cloyster, we would got Durante. And I'm thinking, this is great. And then I left. <laughs> it's like, and I didn't want to go. But I'd fallen out so badly with the ownership for what I thought they'd scammed the lads for or a bonus they didn't pay. I just refused to play. So I was off. Um, and it absolutely broke my heart. It broke my heart to leave Kilmarnock. And it, it was very, very upsetting because I'd had that year. We were a right good team. We were making it even better. I mean, I was really looking forward to playing with Durante, his top quality player. Um, and then that was it. And it was, it was devastating, really, really devastating to leave. Um, and then the Kilmarnock fans were furious with me because they thought I was just jumping off to go for this fancy job as chief executive player at Motherwell. And there was no chance that they went to Motherwell had that thing not happened. So um, it was a, a great year. Also, my dad was able to come and see me without getting sleepers and the rest of <laughs> London and Liverpool and that. He could just jump on the train down to Glasgow. And that, that was as important as anything as well. But, uh, my dad could get to see me and my sister and my brother and brothers and stuff. And in terms of Motherwell, you mentioned the fact you go in there as a player. You also get the chief executive role. It just, as I say, I always think you think of modern football now and you think, imagine someone was given that sort of role now and the fact that you're concentrating on what you're doing on the park, but you're managing a key aspect of the park. Was that the sort of job where the sort of time in your life where you basically just worked 24-7, it felt like? Ah, it's mental. It was, uh, it was too much. It was far too much. Um, again, I've started writing a bit about that, uh, that period of time. But it was also very funny um, and mad things going on all the time. And it was... Uh, and I wouldn't change a lot of it because of um, the extremes of what was happening at the time. The owner, John Bird, had bought the club. I, I was a Kelly, and we bought the club. And he was asking me if I could um, run it for him. And I went, no, <laughs> I'm playing somewhere else. And he kind of knew me a wee bit from complicated through Glasgow Tech and doing the same degree and stuff. So I didn't know him that well, but I knew him a wee bit. Um, and then it happened that I'd know, I, I had to then leave Kilmarnock. And I went there. And it was the, the role, he, would, he said, would I want to be manager? And I went, no, I don't want to be a manager. You could be player manager. No, I'm not interested. Never want to be a manager. Um, well, we need you to look at the club. Well, I can do that. I can run that sort of stuff. Say what you want and have a look at the kind of overview of it. I mean, I don't care what you call me, football director. I don't care. Just director if you want, but I just don't care. I have no interest in power. Um, I'm just, I'll, I'll have a look at the club for you and see what we can do. Um, and then when I went in, there was a lot of things, a lot of problems with it, you know, and John wanted actually, John Barrow wanted to make it the third post in Scottish football, which I kept on telling him to shut up saying, because he said, why, why, we need to sell it, and I went, yeah, if you tell everyone you're going to be a third, you're going to have to spend 
the money for the film. And trust me, I know your mental neck, but you ain't got the money up hearts, you ain't got the money of hips, you ain't got the money of Aberdeen. You're never going to do that. So keep it in mind. No, 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 we need to. So anyway, within a year and a half, we were thumbs. <laughs> and it, it was, it took a few quid from him. But it was not as much, I mean, nowhere near as much as you know, the other clubs around us were spending. But it was such a roller coaster. There were so many incredible things happening. Uh, again, I've been writing a lot about that. And, you know, I've, I cannot believe I managed at that point to be player. I wasn't getting that many games. I mean, I was on the bench a lot. Um, chief exec. Um, I was on all the committees at the SFA and the SPFL, or the SPL as it was at the time. I was also doing media work um, down south, uh, and I was travelling four hours a day to get to work and back. And I've got a young family, and it's like, what is this? And I kept every single year. I thought, right, I can stop now. I oh, know, can you stay on another year? I don't know. This is hell. I don't want it. And uh, I mean, it was it was it was always meant to be a short term. I kind of had two, maybe three years in my mind, um, ended up being nearly four. And uh, I was very sad with the way it ended because it went within an administration um, to which I have now written very extensively about. <laughs> it's, it's never been done before. Here's the odd thing. Remember, can you remember when Rangers went into administration? Yeah, like nobody, <laughs> no, everyone remembers it. And remembers how Forensically, it was gone over in the press and by fans of other clubs finding out all about it, etc., etc., etc. So I'd run this club, you know, under budget for three and a half, four years, right? And, I'm, and people were going, "Well, it's your fault." And I went, "Eh? I've been a, how could you be my fault? <laughs> under budget for all those years? What are you talking about?" And started seeing all these things in the press of the, the amount of debt there was, and I'm going. Excuse me, I was chief exec, I can tell you. Nobody ever asked. It was wild, man. So, whereas Rangers, years later, got all this forensic, everything, nobody bothered to ask me. <laughs> I didn't believe it. So, uh, I, I kind of shrugged my shoulders a bit. Oh, good. Well, I've got, you know, I, I'll try and help as many people who have been damaged by the administration. I mean, I had a buyer waiting anyway. I wasn't one of them. I know all the Marlowe fans are really upset. I kept, I, it's desperate to say to them, look, I've got another buyer. <laughs> Don't worry, club's not going to get a business. <laughs> I know you think it is, but it isn't. And I did say it in the time at the press, look, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. It's, it's just, it's not a worry. It's just a business sort of thing. And, uh, but it was never ever really looked into it, any depth. So I've kind of written a bit about it. Isn't it? It's not a slating piece or slaughtering it. It's just, an interesting insight into what it was like and some of the extraordinary goings on, which, honestly, I'm, I'm sitting here, you can see me, I'm laughing thinking about it. It was that funny and that interesting and that weird and that different to what people think about it. Because, I, I mean, I'm not convinced that John had, I didn't know if he'd ever been in a football game before he won the club. And it's like, what? Really? Because <laughs> he wasn't a big football fan. It wasn't his thing. He's a businessman. Um, but that's fine, as long as you run the business snippy in a sensible way. Um, and he was very, very generous. Um, very generous to all the players. You know, and, but what tends to happen with people are generous. Is, to use a, a Glaswegian phrase, they take a lemon. <laughs> um, we got a wee bit of that as well from a lot of people. And I was there trying to stop that happening. Uh, for a lot of time, but the, the people that we had, and we ended up having Andy Gorham playing for us. Um, I managed to get up Jed Brown, who played for us, who's, who's ended up becoming our captain and one of my favorite people I've ever worked with. And in looking around, you for a really short period for about two years nearly, we had a very good team and we could stand toe to toe with anyone, but it's costly and uh, you know. It's, the reasons why it fell apart was, was the real sadness, the real shame. And it was nothing got to do with overspending and everything got to do with a failed TV rights issue. That's all. 
the last question I've got for you, Pat, and this could be a whole a whole separate podcast in itself. Um, but one thing that I've always been fascinated by with yourself is the passion that you've got for the arts, you've got for music, you've obviously been a DJ. That's something that, that you really love. If possible, could you sum up your real passions and interests in, in art and also your real passions and loves in music? I know that could be a very long show in itself, but roughly, what would, how would you just sum it up? I'll sum it up with simple things. At various times in my career, other players called me weirdo, right? That was the nickname, weirdo. Right? And I'm looking at them thinking, I'm the normal one. You are all weirdos, as far as I'm concerned. Because I'm, like a lot of people, I love my music, I love my arts, I love my other things. I have got other things in life. And it's not just football. That makes me normal, you know, and... I don't think this, these are the passions and loves I have just because I'm into them and I've, I've had the chance, you know, to go and see a lot of gigs and travel to a lot of places and, you know, I, I don't do it in a flashy way. I'm not a big art collector or anything like that. It's just the joy and the beauty of learning um, and it's, it doesn't care no matter what it is, you know, to be philosophy, you know, fanatical reader, you know, all those sorts of stuff. I think it's just what normal human beings should be like. Now, that argument's now wearing a wee bit thin because in the social media age, I see a lot of people, a lot less people seem to be reading books. I was only suggesting that there's a short span of attention with a lot of people. Um, but I still think out there, you know, you know, as time goes by, people will have interests in their areas of inverted commas, the arts, because that's what makes us human. Makes us human that you can see where the beauty is, where the joy is. It can be a bit of a grudge for a lot of people. Um, a couple of things. Always remember to look up, you know, look up. There's good things up there. You know, there's good things you can see. Um, and that's the second piece of this, not advice, but the second thing I live by. The first one is, first one is never forget to be soft. I mean, honestly, if you if you can't, if you're serious and earnest all the time, it is tiresome. Now we have to be earnest with something we have to be serious about it. But you know, hang on with an iron grip <laughs> to, to the ability to be silly and to laugh at yourself. Um, because life can be a wee bit more fun that way. So yes, I'm into all those other things. Do I always take them completely and utterly seriously and, and do a lot of chin stroking? No, I don't actually. And you talk about the DJing. I love doing the DJing. It doesn't pay anything all that much. Uh, I love doing it because you get a bunch of people there and I play my favourite songs dead loud. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not complicated. <laughs> And that's the thing that, that, as I say, makes me smile because when, when you, I've heard you speak about this before on, on Five Live and others when people have asked you about uh, interests and sort of perceptions within dressing rooms, etc. I agree with you. I think it's normal to have other interests and it's refreshing to hear that you've got other passions out with football because so often, how many examples could we both name over the years of guys that were football, football, football? they retire and then they don't know what to do whereas if you've got more interest you've got more passions I think it can help you be more rounded and keep you in the, the straight and narrow for a good Scottish phrase yeah absolutely it's, it's, it's kind of important it's good for mental health too um, if you play football or do any job if you are your job what happens when you lose your job what happens to your mental capacity what happens to who you are and who you it, it shouldn't be who you are it should be what you do you know, and you can do it very well. You can be absolutely dedicated to it, but it shouldn't be who you are. Um, and I spent a lifetime making sure it wasn't who I was um, because I'd rather be liked, I was going to say respected, but I don't care if I'm respected or not. It's a, it's a dull thing to be. Um, but, you know, noticed for who you are, not what you do. I think that's a much better thing. I think there's a lot more depth in that. And, uh, when you shuffle, shuffle off this mortal coil, that would be a good thing. If you, and if you do, if you have that attitude, you're probably giving a wee bit back more than the other people who spend their time indulgently doing the one thing that they want to do and ignoring everything and everyone else. So that's kind of the way I can look at it. 
I have to say, Pat, it's been one of the most fascinating discussions I've had on the show. Thank you so much for your time. And when the book is out, I'll be I'll be more than happy to to share it on social media because I'm really looking forward to it myself. It's, it's, it's driving by just last month about it. It's driving me nuts because I, mean, I, wrote, I wrote it about a year ago, <laughs> and it was supposed to come out what two days ago, and it had to be because of COVID. It had to be held back to May. And it's driving me mad. I'm just that get I me. Mean, you can pre-order it on Amazon and all that sort of stuff. But I, I kind of like just get on. <laughs> I've been waiting that long. Um, but it's every the thing about writing it. I absolutely loved writing. It. Loved writing, um, and that's my joy. It's creation. It's like football. If you create something, so I'm not selling you a book. I'm selling you the idea of writing. If you've ever thought about it, just do it. Just go and do it. It doesn't matter if it's published or not, you'll get something out of it. Brilliant. Great advice. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. So we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song. We'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our Shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song. They'll be filled.